Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street! Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano, Brendan Mortensen, some cicadas flying into our windows. What else is new, Brendan? Mostly just the cicadas, yeah. I think. Cicadas have been dominating conversation in this town, and yeah. I think you're a little sick of it. I am. I, I don't get the big deal. With the cicadas, if I'm being perfectly honest. It's just that you can't walk more than five feet within the city limits without passing at least one dead or alive cicada. It, yeah. They, I think they we were talking ubiquitous. about that the other day. They yeah. just seem a little stupid. They're very stupid. Yeah. I mean, they have no survival skills whatsoever. I think you, you brought it up. You know, evolution should have told them that this is not a recipe for success a long no. time ago. Stay underground for like 17 years. And then in those 17 years, you don't learn anything about how not to fly into windows or anything that looks remotely like Do you think the outside. they're amazed by cell phones? They must be. They <laughs> see an airplane and they have no idea how that happens. 17 years. Yeah, right. But it's cyclical. You don't know how many I think they come years up and they're before. like, now, wait a second. I'm used to car phones. I'm trying out my stand-up. How's it going? It's going really well. Yeah. I think the cicada humor is really going to hit. <laughs> I think the first time What's you go up, Seattle? This is a cicada joke. With What's a cicada? Ah, well, throwing out my act. Yeah. yeah. I don't uh, know why you made the whole act cicadas. Yeah. <laughs> certainly a throwing choice. out cue cards like, ah, <laughs> well, none of you guys are going to get this. Um, all right. Uh, Brendan, the Orioles yeah. yesterday. Uh, they lost, unfortunately, 14 to 1. That they did. Uh, but that ended a, a nice little, you know, winning patch to begin June. And honestly, they had been doing that. What they received yesterday, they had been doing that to teams as of late. So kind of all evens out. Yeah, they were <laughs> one of the best teams in baseball, it seemed like, in the month of June. They were scoring a ton of runs. The top of the lineup was producing. Even the bottom of the lineup was driving in runs. The other night, Pat Valeka had three RBIs. Everybody seemed to be clicking at the right time. It, you're going to regress to the mean a little bit. To the means. And, to yes, the John means. To the John means. Yeah. Uh, and Pete Alonso had like three home runs in 10 innings, which is less than ideal. Yeah. But still nice to see the Orioles offense producing. It is. And uh, even crazier, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read out one stat from yesterday as well. That's the game. It. It's, it's kind of disturbing when you think about it. Mustard, 17. Ketchup, 15. Relish, 0. That's... There's a conspiracy. There's, against, there's something going on here. There is a that conspiracy against That is the most disturbing stat of the night. It is. What do you think the end game is here? Because the Orioles obviously have to be aware of what is going on. They have to be, somebody has to have seen that this is a big deal. Right. Do you think this is a conscious choice by the, peop, by the powers that be to keep Relish out of it has to the be winning, at this point. winner's circle? If it was 10 losses in a, in a row... I would say, okay, well, that's a coincidence. Maybe statistics would tell you that, you know, there's not a high percent chance that it will lose 10 times in a row. But we're into what, 30? Yeah, I mean, what's 15 plus 32? 32. 32 straight losses for Relish. Do you think we're going to get to the end of the season and, like, Relish is going to, like, they're, 
the buildup now is now two plus months in. Yeah. So like the payoff better be huge. If this is some elaborate joke, it better land. That's right. all I'm saying. It like, is. It, there better be a. This is a risky joke here. Yeah. Uh, there was actually a, a TikTok that went viral the other day because it was somebody in Camden Yards wearing a relish T-shirt. <laughs> And he was standing up and he was like, this is the day. This is the day Relish is going to do it. Wow. And then Relish loses and they just go bananas. That's the only good content I've ever heard of on TikTok. So look at that. Well, clearly you have not seen Adley Rutschman's TikTok. Oh, I have actually. That's fair. Uh, This is like, I believe there was a time at Nationals Park when Teddy Roosevelt was not winning the president's race and he went on a long drive. I remember this. Yeah. So I think that there is... uh, there's something going on, and the Orioles better stick the landing. That's all I'm saying. Well, some pressure. They better stick the landing, and if this goes on for too much longer, I think they should expect a relish hive uprising. Yeah, or or replace relish with uh, chopped onions. Oh, what else do you can you put on a hot dog? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah, but you can't replace relish. What it's not going to get like relegated? What are you? Att- <laughs> what are you pro of the three? What are you rooting for? I'm rooting for relish at this okay. point. What's your favorite? Oh, what's 32? your favorite condiment of the three? I mean, probably ketchup, but that's ketchup a little is, basic. Yeah, it is. But I, I doesn't matter. I want relish to win. That's fair. All right. Uh, should we talk about uh, the actual baseball? No, I want to keep going on relish. All right. Yeah, yeah, uh, we're going to have Sam Jelnick of the Delmarva Shorebirds on in just a little bit to talk about some of the top performers with that team. We had uh, Bowie Baysox broadcaster Paul Fritchner on last week. They were the hottest. Still maybe the hottest team in minor league baseball. Well, the Delmarva Shorebirds are almost as good, and they are off to an absolutely terrific start. So a lot of great stuff coming up later on. But first, let's talk about uh, the All-Star voting. Because the the voting is now open. The All-Star game is the second week of July. Actually coincides with the MLB draft. I'm interested to see how that's going to go. And that'll be a busy week for us, I'll tell you that much. Uh, But... The Orioles have, I think it's fair to say, three candidates. I don't yep. think there's anybody beyond John Means, Cedric Mullins, and Trey Mancini that is really worthy of a discussion at this point. Paul Fry has been good, but you said on the last podcast, very hard to get a reliever who's a non-closer right. into the All-Star game. Really can't see anybody else sneaking their way in there. Yeah, I mean, Freddie Galvis has been good Not on shortstops, but he hasn't been well above average. Yeah. He, he's just been pretty good. Ryan Mountcastle has been excellent as of late, but I think his first month of the season is probably putting him back too far to be in the all-star discussion. So I think really there's just three candidates at this point. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the, the varying degrees of candidacy with yes. these three, because I think that each of the three has a case to be made, but I think that some have stronger cases than others. Let's start with John Means, because I think this guy uh, is the only one on this list right now that is is a former All-Star as well. Of course, he was yep. an All-Star in his rookie season, is currently on the injured list. Uh, but before that, in his 12 starts, 2.28 ERA, that's third best in the American League, 8.7 Ks per nine, which is not ridiculous considering how many strikeouts you know, pitchers have been racking up across baseball in 2021, but it's still a very high number, and I think it is is his career high at this point. Here's the really impressive one. .831 whip, which is the best in the American League, and you toss in his no-hitter. Guy's got a really strong case to make his second All-Star game. I I think he's... I wouldn't call him a lock, 
but I would pro- call him pretty close to it. I would be shocked if he didn't make the All-Star game at this point. He's top 10 in all of baseball in war and top five in the American League. He is top five in all of baseball in pitcher war and was tied for first as of last night. I think Garrett Cole might have uh, jumped over him. He's third in the American League in ERA and top 10 in all of baseball. I would be shocked if John Means is not an all-star despite missing a little bit of time here on the injured list. Yeah, we'll see how long he ends up spending on that injured list. He had shoulder fatigue, so that is, he said it's a problem he's actually been dealing with for a while. That's what kept him from making the opening day start in 2020, if you recall, that Tommy Malone ended up having to make was fatigue. So uh, you hope that it, this is not a recurring problem. You hope this IL stint does not last too long and he's able to get back on the mound. That's really the only thing that I think could keep him from this all-star appearance was if he ends up having to miss significant time uh, from now until the second week of July, that, that could keep him. But in terms of the possibility of him being added to this all-star game roster in 2019, they had 10 or sorry, 15 starting pitchers in both leagues, 10 of those guys or 15 pitchers total, excuse me. Yes. 10 of those were starting pitchers. So basically you're looking at is John means one of the 10 best American League starters? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Yeah, I mean, you could make a case that John Means is within the best three or four starters in the American League at this point. Obviously, you've got guys like Garrett Cole and Tyler Glass now. But outside of that, I mean, he's had a season that is pretty comparable to last year's Cy Young winner, Shane Bieber. Doesn't have the same strikeout numbers, but his advanced numbers are pretty much better. And there are some other good pitchers around the league. There's Kyle Gibson, uh, Ryu, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, Casey Mize are other names that I was throwing out that could potentially be all-stars as well. But I think you could make a pretty solid case that out of that list, John Means is somewhere maybe two or three best seasons so far. And as long as he makes even one or two starts before the All-Star game, as long as he's not out uh, for the entirety of this stretch between now and when the All-Star game actually happens, I think he's a lock. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, So I think that he has the strongest case. And of course, I, you know, not that he was not deserving back in 2019, but I think that was a little bit more a story of the Orioles needed a representative. Every team needs a representative, obviously. And I think that that, might honestly be the Orioles might be on the wrong side of that this year. They were on the right side in 2019 where, you know, somebody benefits from, from that John means benefited from somebody needing a a representative, the Orioles needing a representative. The fact that every team needs a representative might mean that one of these three guys could definitely get bumped out because, you know, there needs to be another guy to fill in there. Right. Uh, But I think John means has earned it 100% on merit this year. And I think that, uh, it, right now, he will get it. But, you know, things could change over the, the coming weeks. Yeah. Next up, the guy that I think has the least highest chance of the three of them to make the All-Star game, that's Trey Mancini. Yeah. Obviously, it would be an incredible story if Trey Mancini does make the All-Star game. And I think, while it shouldn't be a deciding factor, I think Major League Baseball and probably the fans who are voting as well will at least take his story into consideration. The fact that he has been able to come back this year after going through chemo, fighting back from cancer, and is able to have the type of season that he's having. I mean, he has 45 RBIs. He's got an OPS over 830. He's top 10 in Major League Baseball in RBIs. The first base position is loaded, and that's going to hurt Trey Mancini as well. But I don't know if he has a 
high chance of making the all-star game, but I think he makes a very solid case too. It is frustrating because he was oh so close in 2019 and it was really the last couple weeks that did him in where he struggled just a little bit. Yeah. And then of course, after the all-star game, he has an extra chip on his shoulder and just decides to mash for the second half of that season. So, you know, that was an all-star caliber season, but it is very difficult to make it as a first baseman, just given the, the kind of competition that you have seemingly every year. Um, and especially this year, um, because he obviously had Vlad, who is right, uh, maybe the front runner or one of the front runners for MVP through the first two plus months of the season. Yuli Gurriel, Jared Walsh has been very good for the LA Angels, and you're really looking at only a couple spots for the first base American League spots. So back in 2019, they had one starter and then two backup first basemen. It, you know, it just is not. It's not likely. And there are always chances that he could be part of a final vote, which I think they're doing again this year. Yep. There are chances he could be added as a fill-in if somebody ends up getting injured and they need to fill a roster spot there. It's frustrating because I think he is close enough. He's very, very good. He's having a great year. I'm not discounting that. But is he one of the three best American League first basemen right now? He's probably just fourth or fifth. Yeah, and honestly, I don't know if he's fourth or fifth between Matt Olson is having a very good season. Jose Abreu started a little bit slow, but is really starting to turn it on. And obviously, he was the AL MVP last year, which gives him a bit of a leg up when you're looking at all-star voting. So I think Trey Mancini probably falls somewhere five or six, I would say, when you're he's, looking at first baseman seasons. So he's first, um, or sorry, he's fourth among AL first base in batting average. Not like that's hugely important. He's yep. fifth amongst uh, AL first basemen in homers with 11. 833 OPS, that's fifth uh, amongst first basemen in RBIs. I think that's one or two. So yes. he's, he's, he's right up there, I think. I, I don't know if sixth is, is quite fair. I think he's so, fifth Somewhere four, five, six. But give it a week and things could shift. Right, so. exactly. I, I think he's almost there, but I think he's probably going to be on the outside looking in. I would agree. Um, all right, last but not least. Oh, and, and also you mentioned, sorry, before it, one more thing, yeah. and, and somebody's commenting, Wayne talking about, you know, the fan vote could get in if he is a member of that final vote. That might help because, it, you know, his story is pretty widely known. Yeah. And, you know, would there be enough fan support behind that just because of the, the story that, you know, he has? And, and that's the thing with a fan vote. I mean, yeah. the fan vote doesn't necessarily need to be the best player that was snubbed. Theoretically, it should be. Yeah. But if there's somebody like Trey Mancini who was already close to making the All-Star game solely based on merits, you should absolutely take that story into consideration. Yeah, I, I would agree. All right, last but not least, Cedric Mullins. Yes. It is a loaded American League outfield. Whew, yeah. However, Cedric Mullins has distinguished himself amongst this group. Yes. This guy has been utterly incredible, not just among American League outfielders, but in all of the American League. And frankly, if the season were to end right now, and it doesn't, but if it were, he would be, he would 100% garner some MVP votes. I would agree. I think he is not just making the case to be an all-star. I think Cedric Mullins has a chance to be an all-star starter. Yeah. In the outfield at this point. You look at probably the top competitors that that he's going against right now I think the only one that will probably get more votes than Cedric Mullins based purely on merit is Aaron Judge who is having a very good season statistically and he's Aaron Judge and he plays for the Yankees so he'll get a lot of votes 
Obviously, you've got Byron Buxton, but he hasn't played since May 6th. He racked up a 2.7 war before that, which is absurd. So if he comes back at some point, he will probably make the all-star game. And then, of course, there's Mike Trout, who I don't need to go into very much because that's Mike Trout. He but is. he's injured as well. He's injured. He's injured. He's been out for a couple weeks now, I think. I don't know exactly how long he's going to be out for. Right. Pretty much if, if the guy plays, you know, I don't know, 50 games for the first half of the season, he's going to get in. Yeah, so if it were up to me right now, if I were picking starters in the American League outfield, I would probably pick Aaron Judge, and then I would pick Cedric Mullins. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, he would have the lock on center field because, you know, right. Judge can play center, but, you know, yes. he's a corner outfielder. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, just to put things in context here, 323 average, that's first among American League outfielders right now. Nine homers, which is crazy. Which is ridiculous. Because yeah. none of us expected him to have nine homers at this point, almost, you know, guaranteeing he's going to have double-digit homers in a season for the first time in his career. Uh, he has nine stolen bases. Of course, he has the speed factor as as well 928 OPS which is second among all American League outfielders to Aaron Judge and by the way he's playing maybe not gold glove winning caliber but gold glove finalist caliber center field if if Byron Buxton were healthy maybe Byron Buxton walks away with the the gold yeah, glove the platinum field. glove there yes. for Buxton but still he has been one of the best center fielders defensively in the American League. He makes unbelievable plays on a routine basis. Yeah, he is. We saw another unbelievable play last night. That was an night. incredible catch. Yes. I mean, that was one of the best catches I had seen in center field in Camden Yards. Yeah, he he's fourth in the American League in offensive war. He's third in the American League in batting average. He's 10th in all of baseball in war, which is third amongst position players and second in the American League behind just Vlad Jr., who is probably uh, the front runner for MVP at this point. He's third in baseball in hits, first in the American League, tied for seventh in doubles, tied for sixth in triples. He's got the same amount of extra base hits as Ronald Acuna. Yeah. The dude's been ridiculous. He, he has been utterly incredible. Um, I, I think you have to have him on there. You have to. Have to. I, I mean, not just his stats, but you watch him play on a nightly basis. If that's not an all-star center fielder, I don't know what is. He is all-star caliber, 100%. And I think really the biggest thing that will hurt Cedric Mullins is the fact that he's not a right fielder for the New York Yankees and he's not Mike Trout. Right. I think that's really the only thing that could deter Cedric Mullins from being a starter in the all-star game at this point is that obviously everybody knows Aaron judge and everybody knows Mike Trout and not a lot of people know Cedric Mullins. And, and you have the big ticket value too. Right. With, with that, with those guys yes. uh, that you would not have with the Cedric Mullins. And I think more people are learning about him as the season is going along. I'm getting texts from friends that are not Orioles fans seemingly every day that are like, who is Cedric Mullins and, and how can I learn more about this guy and why is he so good? Yes. So he, his name is growing in cachet, but it is not quite there yet. However, the stats put him up there. And, you know, other than an all-star starter, really, just to be an all-star, you really have to look at, is he one of the seven best? That's how many were on the 2019 American League roster. Seven outfielders. Is he one of the seven best? And the answer is, again, 100% yes. Yeah, and if you're looking at the All-Star game based on those seven outfielders, I would kind of put them in two tiers of the guys that I'm looking at. The first tier would include Aaron Judge, Mike Trout, Byron Buxton, Adolis Garcia, and then I think Cedric Mullins is yeah. in that top five as well. And then after Mullins, you get into like Mark Canna, Austin Meadows, 
Ramon Lariano. He's better than these he's, guys. He's better than that second tier of outfielders. And Shohei Otani is on the designated hitter ballot uh, in, in, for the All-Star game. I was a little worried that he might get put on as an outfielder. He has played four games in the outfield, but he has played most of his games at DH. Yeah. So we don't have to worry about Shohei Otani stealing Cedric Mullins' spot. I, I think he is solidly within that top five outfielders in the American League. I think so, too. Uh, if you had to take these three guys that we mentioned, the three M's, Mullins, Mancini, and Means, what percentage chance would you put on each three of these guys to be an all-star at this point? John Means, I think I would put about a 90%. Okay. Because hopefully John Means is just a quick stint on that 10-day IL. And he's able to come back and make some starts before the all-star game. Even if he gets one or two in, I think he's pretty much a shoe in for the All-Star game. Cedric Mullins, I would put it about an 80% chance to make the All-Star game. There's still a decent amount of time. Hmm. Lower than uh, means. Interesting. I, I think he's about an 80%. I okay. think there's a chance that, say, Byron Buxton and Mike Trout, who I'm already anticipating to make the All-Star game, but say they both come back from the injured list and just light the world on fire. If Ramon Lariano gets his average up. He is an unbelievable defensive center fielder, so he might get a bump there. Adolis Garcia is still mashing for the Rangers, and he's a rookie, which is a really cool story. So I, I would give Cedric Mullins about an 80% chance just because I think not being one of the big-name outfielders hurts him. Yeah. And Mancini. obviously there's a chance he falls off towards the end. I don't think that's going to happen. Trey Mancini, I would give about a 25% chance to make yeah. the All-Star game. I think there's just some first basemen that are better than him at this point. However, I think you have to take his story into consideration as well as the fact that, story aside, he is within, I think, that top five or six first baseman in the American League. He's within range yes. right now. I would Absolutely. go a little bit lower with means just because I have the injury concerns. Yeah. Just because I think there's a chance that he does miss significant time. So I would go maybe eh, 84% chance for John Means. I'm going to pick some... Some not pretty numbers here. Cedric Mullins, I got to go a little bit higher. I think that enough people now know about Cedric Mullins. The also, you know, keep in mind that fans can have a portion of the vote for position players, but pitchers are picked by the managers, which I think is kind of an antiquated system. I don't yeah. really understand it. But uh, Mullins, I think, has a slightly higher percent chance at this point. 87, maybe, percent chance. You were getting very specific with these numbers. Uh, yeah, you know, why not? And then, and Mancini, I'd put it about a 21% chance. I think that there's, (laughs) his best chance would be on a final vote. I agree. I I think he has a good chance on that fan vote. Yeah. Because I I think enough fans know his story at this point to say, if he is right there already without the story, the story pushes him over the top. Uh, At this point, the numbers that we just gave out were projecting two all-stars. Still ways away, but... What was the last Orioles team to have two All-Stars? Wasn't 2018? Was it 20? Scope was the only All-Star in 2018. Uh, my guess would be some combination of Manny and Britain. I think at some 2017 point. was both Manny and Britain. Yeah. I think that was it. So I think it was 2017. That would be nice. It would. Hasn't, you know, been confirmed yet, but it would, it would be nice if the, the Orioles could get two and who knows, maybe three. But you yeah. can have a say in that by voting. So make sure you go to uh, Orioles.com to vote. Cast your ballot. I'm pretty sure you can vote every day. So yeah. multiple times a day. I think you can vote five times a day. Quit your jobs. <laughs> Stay at just home. Vote. Just vote for Cedric Mullins. Yeah. And Trey Mancini. And Trey Mancini and John Means. Uh, you can't vote for John Means. 
like I said. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, come on. Vote for Trey Mancini. Write to your managers and let them know that John Means deserves to be an all-star. Yeah. Um, As mentioned before, Sam Jelnick, who's the uh, Delmarva Shorebirds broadcaster, joined us to talk more minor leagues and some of the standouts. Get a little Gunnar Henderson talk, a little Jordan Westberg talk. Talk about uh, Zach Peak, name you may not have heard in quite a while. Uh, came over in the Dylan Bundy trade a couple years ago. So good conversation with Sam. Give it a listen. And we're joined now on the Mass and All Access podcast by Sam Jelinek, who is one of the broadcasters for the Delmarva Shorebirds. Sam, thank you so much for hopping on. You were out of the organization during the 2020 season, and you were back in the organization, and you didn't skip a beat, did you? Yeah, no, it was uh, it was nice. First, uh, of course, uh, thanks for having me on. But, uh, you know, yeah, I was here in 2019, got to witness that uh, phenomenal 2019 Shorebird squad in person uh, and then moved on for another broadcasting job in minor league baseball with uh, the Bradenton Marauders, who are the now the Pirates low A. They were the Pirates high A uh, back in 2020. Of course, that season never happened. Uh, so it, when I was getting ready for 2021, prepared to head back there, uh, the opportunity opened up to return back to Delmarva to be the lead broadcaster here. And uh, obviously I jumped at it. I mean, I love the Orioles organization uh, overall, especially here on Delmarva. It's, you know, the kind of talent we've had here as of late uh, makes it a lot of fun. So I've been more than happy to be back uh, in the Orioles organization. It's great to have you sticking around in, in a roundabout way. And the only good thing, I guess you could say, from 2020 happening was that you don't have to update any stats. You can just roll right into the 2020 season like it it never even happened because it didn't, unfortunately. Let's get right into to how you guys have started out for this season because you are on fire like seemingly every other Orioles affiliate. You've jumped out to a 21-9 and record. You're in first place in your division for people who have not been able to make the drive to Salisbury, what has been the key to your success so far? So it's definitely been different than 2019 and the success that we had then. You look at 2019, the stable of arms, uh, you know, obviously Grayson Rodriguez, Gray Fenter, Drew Rom at the top, and then basically all the way through the rotations dominant. This year, the Shorebirds team, it's offense. They, they match. And, you know, you talk about the middle of the order to start the year, Gunnar Henderson, Jordan Westberg, J.D. Mundy, and then a stable of other guys that, you know, were either lower draft picks or this is their first time outside of the GCL or for this matter, their first time in affiliated baseball after being signed in 2020. And, you know, Jordan Cannon's tied for third in the league in home runs with five and he's a catcher. Uh, Hudson Haskin out in center field out of Tulane, just one through nine. Uh, going into this week, they've now dropped below it, sadly, but they had been averaging about seven and a half runs per game, which is just absolutely absurd. It's insane. So they just essentially bludgeoned their opponents, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. So, Sam, you mentioned Gunnar Henderson there. He's been unbelievable at the plate so far. He's hitting for average and power. What's impressed you the most about his game? So the first thing that jumps out to me, you can go back to his first at-bat to start the season. And he went opposite field, an absolute nuke the other way here at Purdue Stadium for a, I think it was a two-run homer. And off the bat, you know, first game of baseball that I'm broadcasting in like a year and a half with a 19-year-old shortstop at the plate, fly ball the other way. Immediately in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this has got pretty good carry, but there's no way this gets out of here, right? It keeps on going, keeps on going. And it, I think it got went like 410 or something like that. And I'm like, that, that's not normal. 
you don't you don't do that your first at bat in outside of the complex leagues going the other way 410 feet and he does that just consistently and it's not like you know it's by accident uh talking to him about it he says that's just kind of his approach to the plate he has that kind of raw strength to go the other way we've seen him pull the ball a little bit more here as of late and i think that'll be the next challenge for him once he starts facing greater velocity because you can't really afford to wait back on 97 and on the hands. So we haven't really seen that yet, but as the season goes on, I'll be interested to see how he adjusts back to it. Yeah, it has been very fun watching his highlights from afar and just seeing how toolsy this guy is and the ability to produce at such a young age. But another infielder who is a little bit older and has already moved past you because of how great he was to start the season, Jordan Westberg. He was a 2020 A draft pick by the Orioles was known for his defense and a little bit of pop in that bat. What was what made him so successful through the first 20 or so games he had with you guys that allowed him to move up to Aberdeen? So I have to give credit here to Fangraphs. They did a phenomenal interview with him talking about his approach to the plate. And I think that that is what what makes him special is the approach to the plate. He's a very cerebral hitter. He doesn't think too much in terms of mechanics or anything like that but he truly understands what he's trying to do uh, when he's up in the dish. He, you know, he stays inside the ball really well, goes the other way. But on top of that, he's thinking along with the pitcher. He's playing chess with him. He's trying to figure out, okay, what's he going to throw me here? And obviously as a very polished uh, college player who played at the highest levels in college ball, he's, you know, very much on par with what pitchers are trying to do to him. And when he put that together with, you know, he also has the physical attributes to handle the, fastball inside and go the other way and drive it it makes for a pretty good combination so shifting to the outfield Hudson Haskin he's got that really weird approach at the plate but it's working for him he's hitting almost 300 what's been going well for him so far so one of the favorite quotes that I've ever heard in my baseball career uh, and life here is from a hitting coach who said you know if I have somebody come to me and they're standing on top of their head but they're hitting line drives to the plate I don't care. And that's basically what Patrick Jones said about Hudson Haskin. He said, that's how he hits. And when he stops hitting like that, maybe we'll change something, but that's just what he does. He's super aggressive at the plate. Uh, You'll see, you know, depending on what highlights you've seen of him, obviously he starts with the feet kind of close together and essentially lunges in towards the plate. So he's comfortable hanging his elbow out over the inside corner. He actually told me he had to add an elbow guard this year because he started getting flunked a few too many times. But, and then on top of that, with how aggressive he is at the plate, just his ability to barrel up baseball. You know, it doesn't matter what starting stance you're at, so long as when you're making contact, you have barrel control and you know where it's going. He has that in spades. Yeah, and, and if you're sensing a theme here, we're talking about a lot of hitters. And as you said, that is it is the offense that has carried the Shorebirds through the first couple month or so or the, of the season. Another guy that was added in 2020 but was not part of that shortened draft, J.D. Mundy, a name that... People probably have not heard too much, so much so that I even got his name wrong on our last podcast, calling him J.D. Mundry. So not going to do that again. But somebody who has also moved past you, gone up to Aberdeen, he hit 324 in a, in a small sample size with you guys. For people who don't know J.D. Mundy, give us a, a, a scouting report and why he has been so good. So he's a very similar hitter, hitter to Gunnar Henderson. Very different body types in that regard. JD's like six foot two twenty. Gunnar's obviously a little bit taller, around the same weight. 
So it's a little bit stockier at the plate, but very similar in trusting his hands and his ability to go the other way because he has that natural pop. Uh, I'm pretty sure he had three home runs with us and all of them were to the opposite field. The first home run he actually hit Aberdeen, he ended up pulling. So I guess he just wanted to wait to show that off at a higher level. But he was a guy that started at Virginia Tech in college, transferred to Radford, and ended up as the Big South uh, preseason player of the year heading into 2020. And basically throughout his entire life, all the dude does is hit. And he hits at every single level. And once you get that confidence of you know barrel control and comfort with what the pitchers are now showing you, it makes for a very good combination. And with basically all the hitters in this lineup – A, they're not afraid to strike out, but B, they're also not afraid to take a walk and work a really deep count. So many guys throughout the lineup do that. And, you know, Anthony Servideo is one guy that jumps out with how many walks he has. But the same thing goes for Mundy and Henderson. They're not scared to hit with two strikes. To them, it's just the same. It doesn't, you know, thankfully, it doesn't go to the fact that they end up racking up huge strikeout numbers either. They're still able to make a good amount of contact, and it's always hard contact. All right, so we talked about a lot of hitters. Let's talk about a pitcher in Zach Peake. He was acquired in that Dylan Bundy trade, but he's not really talked about when you mention Orioles pitching prospects. What can you tell us about his game? So he actually uh, pitched what would be, I'm trying to think what yesterday was. Yesterday was Wednesday night. Uh, so, But he started at Lynchburg, uh, and it was the best I'd seen him look. Unfortunately, the game got suspended after two innings, but through two innings, he had struck out four and only allowed like one or two base runners. So it was the best he'd looked so far this season. And a cool note for that is he's from the Lynchburg area, so it was a little bit of a homecoming for him. But overall, it's just kind of been trying to settle in for him. He's mainly fastball curveball as far as what jumps off the page. The fastball will sit 92 to 95, and the curveball is an overhand curveball that's got really good break to it. And you look at his numbers when he was at Winthrop and versus kind of stuff that he brings to the table is you're like, okay, how does he do it? He just racks up strikeout numbers. And just judging from my eye up in the press box and talking, I have the video coordinator next to me up in the press box. So I can ask about spin rate. The spin rates on the fastball and curveball are pretty elite. So that kind of makes up. And that's kind of the makeup of a lot of the Delmarva staff is I don't think anybody's topped out over 95 or 96 but for the most part, the spin rates are really good and peak fits into that mold. Now, what uh, pitching coach Robbie Avilas has talked about with a lot of pitchers so far this year is they're just going to have to try to get comfortable figuring out what their routine is. For peak, even though he was drafted in 2019, he's never played in affiliated baseball. The Angels do the program where they take college drafted guys and send them down to the complex and they don't even pitch in complex ball. They just work out. So this is his first time living on the road. Uh, on top of that, you know, he's not living in his actual apartment. He, you know, everybody's staying at a hotel for the time being. So just getting used to that. And I think he's finally starting to settle in and get used to what uh, professional baseball asks out of him. See, if you're not watching the podcast, if you're just listening to it, Sam is doing this seemingly all sans notes. He's just doing all of this off the top of his head. That is how ingrained this guy is with the Delmarva Shorebirds and how much he just knows without having to look at his score sheet or any kind of notes. So, Sam, you are the resident expert on the Delmarva Shorebirds. There is nobody better to talk about the Delmarva Shorebirds than you. That's why you're the best. Thanks so much for hopping on. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the kind words, and uh, hopefully we'll have uh, more to talk about here in the coming months. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be making the couple-hour drive down to Delmarva at some point. Hopefully you get a little bit better luck with the weather. I know you've had some rainouts recently. 
Oh yeah. That, uh, opening week was rough. That was actually something that, uh, hurt peak. Now come to think about it, he got through two innings and then the rain came in and his opening night start was done. Uh, and then last night, two innings rain shortened him then. So hopefully he gets a bit more luck too. Let's get a dome over Purdue stadium. I feel like that's the next step. <laughs> Put all of the budget into that dome. <laughs> that, that That's something that, uh, Major League Baseball should have mandated when yeah. they rearranged the minors was everybody gets a dome. Yeah, that's it. No more rain. <laughs> that's the future. Uh, Sam, thanks again for hopping on, and uh, we appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks, guys.